wanting to go through the process, accepting that you need to go through the process. And much of that process is not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be enjoyable. And that's okay. That's a part of the process. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for experts who want to be the unapologetic leader in their industry. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life, inside and out. It's time to take your influence, income, and impact to the level you know you're capable of. Are you ready to make a bigger difference and scale up? This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and today we're talking about a super interesting topic, something that I have been wanting to talk about for a long time with someone. And finally, I found someone in my world that I can talk about this with. So I'm welcoming Christopher to the show today, and we're going to talk about how Chris recently sold his coaching business. So welcome to the show, Chris. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm really looking forward to being able to dive into this with you and just honestly, just chat with you. I think that's the thing selfishly I'm, I'm going to get the most out of today. <laughs> Likewise, there's a, you know, I think that one of the things I love about this podcast is I get to have these amazing conversations with people, just like we're sitting in a coffee shop and having this private conversation that we get to share with nearly 30,000 people a week. So that's pretty cool. Before we dive in, I'd love you to share what was your business? Uh, so the my previous company was Coaches Cartel, which was a business coaching company that really we helped health and fitness professionals build and grow their online business. Mm. And why don't you give us a bit of a walkthrough of, you know, how long ago did you start your business? What sort of gave you the idea to start that business and what your dreams and goals were back when you started? Mm, okay, great question. So let me go back to, I became a personal trainer when I was 18. I was actually really overweight as a child. It was something that really held me back. And when I'd finished school, I really got into needing and wanting to get in shape. And I started to do that. And I saw the transformation within myself. And I wanted to help other people go through that as well. And especially, mm. honestly, like after leaving school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at all. And I had this passion with health and fitness. I'd always been athletic, always played sports, always loved it. But it was the it was the weight that really held me back. And not just actually physically that held me back from being able to be a high level athlete, but the mental stuff as well that really do you mean got me down and got me not showing up as the person I'd love to be as well. So mm. when I started to see that physical transformation, there was an inner transformation that happened with me. And I was like, I want to share this with others. Mm. So I became a personal trainer when I was 18. And then I ran a personal training business throughout Sydney. I then had the opportunity to move to Dubai to start a fitness business there, which I very much took up, which my wife was pregnant with our first child. Three days, we found out three days before that my wife was pregnant, that I got this opportunity to go to Dubai. So oh, wow. there was a very interesting story kind of behind that. There's a, would have been a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So went to Dubai, uh, started a fitness business there, slept on the couch for three months, made it happen. I mean, we started family, moved to Dubai as a family, 
But I did, again, what I did when I was in Sydney and I I burnt out as a personal trainer. I I was Mm -hmm. quite literally working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., six days a week. Mm -hmm. I called it the devil's number. And Mm -hmm. I'd burnt out and I'd started to want to run an online business. I'd read the four-hour work week. I'd seen some other people being able to live this amazing lifestyle. And it was just this dream of, oh my God, like I would love to be able to run this online business, help more people than just the limitations of who I could see in a face-to-face environment, be able to earn more money. And especially then the freedom, like doing, be able to live where we want and provide for my family in the ways that I wanted to as well. And so when I really, I burnt out in Dubai, my wife was like, we don't want to live here anymore. You can't keep doing this. You're just going to run yourself into the ground and let's move to Bali. You're kind of dabbling in this online thing. Let's do it. And so three weeks later, we'd sold everything, packed everything up, gave my clients away the whole kit and caboodle and we were in Bali and I'd started my online fitness business. And then not after too long, I just had heaps of trainers reaching out to me. They knew me as a trainer in Sydney. They knew me as a trainer then in Dubai. And then they're like, how are you doing this online thing? And how have you made this happen? Mm. And so I started helping some trainers and do you know I mean it just it continued to grow, it continued to have more trainers coming to me. And then at one point I actually decided I was like, all right, I'm gonna lean into this just a little bit more. I ran a in-person workshop in Australia for a bunch of trainers. They got great results from what I taught them during this five-day workshop. And I was like, this is awesome. I really want to do this. And then I don't know how, Sam, but something happened and there was a switch in me and I fell more in love with the business than I did with the fitness. The transformations of seeing someone transform their business and how that then parlayed into how that transformed their life lit me up inside so much more than the fitness side of things. And I was Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I want to do this. This is incredible. And so then the kind of like me online coaching started. And so there was an interesting fork in the road and it comes to a good mutual friend of ours, Taki Moore. And Taki was over in Bali with his family one time and uh, we're catching up for a lunch because again, another mutual friend, I attended James Shramko's event And then the year after, James actually asked me to speak at his event. And then that's when I met Taki. Mm -hmm. And then we just kind of like started this tiny little friendship. There was a spark there and we kind of kept in a little bit of contact. But then I was sitting with Taki, having lunch with him in Bali. And we got talking about business and he was like, so what's going on? And I was doing the online fitness. I was doing the online business coaching. I was also running a supplement business as well. There was these three things I was doing. Yep. And very wisely, he was just like, I think you should do one. (laughs) And I reckon it went something like this. Hey, dude, I've got an idea. Yeah, it very much went something like that. Yeah. And essentially, I was like, okay, I'm going to just do the online business coaching. That's the thing where I feel like my passion and where I was getting the good feels inside from as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I killed the other two businesses and I just went to the online business coaching. And that is essentially after a little while turned into the coach's cartel. Then one, two, skip a few. I sold the business pretty much two months ago today from our recording. And congratulations on that very, on all of it, but congratulations on your uh, two month anniversary. Thank you. There were so many pieces in there that I can really relate to. 
one, being really burnt out in the fitness industry. When I came out of, you know, doing my cert for in fitness and I think it was maybe about six weeks later, there was the Rec SA Fitness Awards and I was put forward for newcomer of the year into the industry. And it was purely because I had 37 sessions a week. I still remember the number. So everyone was like, how did you do 37 sessions a week, six weeks out? And that was like the, what's the word? Sort of like, you know, that was the success marker, I guess. And it's kind of a really weird success marker because, you know, as you said, you burn out and as coaches, as people that are, that are helping people to make transformations, when we're burnt out, our clients are, are not going to get the results that they're looking for in the same way. And something else that really stood out to me was really having a passion for fitness, but understanding that it was actually the business behind what you're doing that is the bit that you want to go with and I think that even that little part of the story is really important because a lot of people go into what it is that they love doing and try and create a business and it's not always the right way to do it and for me I discovered really quickly that I love fitness I love going to boot camp I loved having training sessions I didn't love being a trainer as much as I did enjoy doing it for myself. Yes. So they're really good. Oh, I know tons of trainers in that exact same. They're, they're fitness enthusiasts themselves. So therefore they kind of assumed that that's what they should do for business. And that yeah, that's a topic in itself that I find uh -huh. very interesting. And then they end up doing something and then they lose their passion for fitness yeah. because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I think they came, like, we all come from a place of the right intention. Correct. You know, like you were saying, we had this amazing transformation and we wanted to share that with others, but there are other ways that we can do that without actually being the trainer. Yeah. And, you know, if there's anyone listening now, this may resonate in the business that you're currently in. You know, sometimes a pivot is needed or, you know, exactly like you said, Chris, you let two of your businesses go when you really realised while I'm doing these three things, it's actually holding me back Yeah. because I'm guessing that as soon as you let those other two things go, there was a big change in Coach's Cartel. Yeah. Can you tell us about what happened once you kind of went all in on that decision and, you know, put your foot on the gas and went for it? I think the crux of it is we only have so much bandwidth and mental capacity that we really have at the end of the day. And for so long, I prided myself as well. I remember saying this to Taki, being like, dude, just show me the way. I'll run through walls and I'll make it happen. Mm. And I could endure pain. I was, very, I, was, I was very good at it. And I say was because I don't want that to be an element that I operate from. I know it's, it's a gear that I can use and turn into when needed, but I don't want that my default operating system now moving forward. Mm. And when you are able to have direct focus into something and pour all of your heart and soul and effort and your blood and sweat and tears and everything into it, there is magic that starts to happen from that rather than having a diffused kind of focus from it as well. So I think it's really wanting to go through the process, accepting that you need to go through the process and much of that process is not going to be fun. It's not going to be 
easy. It's not going to be enjoyable. And that's okay. Mm. That's a part of the process. Life is not meant to be fun, easy, and enjoyable the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge learning point that I'd love people to be able to pick and take away from today and kind of and see how they can apply it to themselves because we don't know there without here. We don't have light without dark. We don't have good without bad, in without out, up without down. We live in a world of polarities and you've got to accept the polarities that come through it as well. Yeah. And so for me, it was, okay, I'm just going to do this thing. This is what I'm doing now. And you become consumed with it. You be, you just, you it like every, if you're not waking up, like it was funny because quite literally last night in the middle of the night, I just kind of came awake and I could tell my brain was just solving business problems with the partners that I'm working with right now. And I'm like, I can just tell my subconscious is just like mulling through the things and like getting to solutions. So I was like, ah, that's awesome. Like, do you know what I mean? And yeah, like yeah. kind of roll back around and like fall back asleep and let it do its work. And so I just think there's some real power when it comes to focus. And so I think the important point that I would love to highlight with that, Sam, is if someone hasn't truly dedicated themselves to what it is that they want to do and to where it is that they want to go, then do not expect the result to come about. Mm, mm. Oh my goodness. So much gold. Let's talk about selling the business because there is a big misconception from a lot of people and I've heard it and we were having a chat before we started recording that you can't sell a coaching business. I was also told that I owned a dance studio for 20 years and people told me for the whole 20 years, you can't sell a dance studio. And even I remember maybe it was about 12 years in, I'd had the first inkling that I wanted to sell. And someone said to me, oh, how about, you're going to love this one. How about you tell everyone when you close that they could come to our dance studio and for every student that signs up, we'll give you 20 bucks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) That was enough right in that conversation to go, there is no way I'm selling for that. (laughs) There's no skin in the game there. I did end up selling it at the 20 year mark, which was great. It's, It's kind of like that, that, is it the four minute mile? Is it, is that what it is? Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. you know, no one's, everyone said it couldn't be done until it was done. When did you have the idea that you actually wanted to sell your business? Uh, so it's a good question, because I think there's a couple of parts to it. I think yep. the, there was the idea that I would like to be able to sell the business and I think there was some bubbling feelings and thoughts as to why I wanted to do that, mm-hmm. which is something I, I would love to unpack with you on that because I think that's really important. Let's say 18 months ago could be a, a ballpark time in which I said it was like, all right, this is when I want to sell it. Now, mm-hmm. I say there's parts to this because there is a big difference between I just recently actually read a fantastic essay by Harry Frankfurt called On Bullshit. And it's a fantastic piece which talks about like we can't lie to ourselves, but we can bullshit ourselves. Mm. And and there there is a very there is a difference between there and how we, we need to do that. And especially something that's quite topical for me right now is what does it really mean? Okay. Excuse me, this is probably going to go a little bit deeper than kind of like the initial question. No, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, what does it mean to live up to our potential? What does it mean to live a meaningful life? 
what does it mean to live a good life at the end of the day, which I would assume rightly or wrongly that you want to do, I want to do, the listener wants to do. And so what does that really come down to at the end of the day? And I think a part of the core essentials for that is that we are needing to have better contact in reality. So we're actually seeing reality and being a part of reality for what it is rather than on the flip side, bullshitting ourselves or just being delusional at the end of the day. And we best need to build our character so that we show up to do the things that we need to be able to do on a day-to-day level to be able to be, have, and achieve what it is that we want at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So as I kind of like wrangle the philosopher back in, I'll bring it back to more the entrepreneur right now. And so there was me saying that, oh, I would like to sell this business. That's very different to me believing I can't sell this business mm. and which then very much differs from what you do to actually get that done at the end of the day as well. So there is a there was a big time gap between when I actually thought it to when I actually started to really believe it to when I truly actioned it and for then it to happen as well. Yeah, I love that. Really love that. So obviously, actually, there was something that you said there that let's start there. And that is why you wanted to sell the business. This is, I think, a really, really important piece. I'd love to hear your why, but also some of the questions that our listeners need to ask themselves and answer so that they need to know whether this is something that they want to start exploring for themselves. Love this. Why would I want to sell the business is the question that the listener needs to have, should, I shouldn't say need, may want to have running through their brain right now. For me, there was a few things that kept coming up, rightly and wrongly. And let's start with wrongly. I wanted to have the story as a part of me and my life and what I've done. I wanted to build and sell a company, Mm -hmm. most likely because it's a social signaler. It's a status signal of, do you know what I mean, an egotistical pursuit at the end of the day. And I saw that after a little while and I was like, oh, hang on. I'm wanting to be able to have the story to tell myself and essentially to tell others, oh, I built and sold a company. And so I came to peace with that being like, oh, okay, that's not the most virtuous reason as to why I want to be able to do something. Mm -hmm. Then it really came to the one point that really broke the camel's back, which is what actually then got me to execute immediately on what got the company sold Mm -hmm. was I wanted to be more. I didn't want to have more. Mm -hmm. I'd evolved past the business. I'd evolved into a new person, if I could be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to do and be someone different and to be able to go into domain a greater revolution of my life as well. And so me staying in that business was going to hold me back from really doing what it is that I wanted to do. And for me to be like, oh, I want to be more. I don't want to have more. It wasn't about quite literally in the negotiations of the sale, Josh that bought the company from me, he turns around and goes, dude, if you hang on to this for a little bit longer, you'll make millions more. Because he knew he knew the business intimately he knew every number absolutely everything and he was like if you hold on to this a little bit more you'll make millions more and i go and so it, it was interesting because 
I'm currently writing a book at the moment called Enough is Enough. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to answer what is enough at the end of the day? What is it that we're really striving for? And how do we best align ourselves to do and be who we need to be? So essentially on our deathbed, we can have admiration and pride for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I had to put my money where my mouth was at the time. And I go, you know what? This is not about money right now. Like it's a part of it, mm-hmm. but it's not the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I was at peace of leaving millions on the table and taking what I knew would become so much more fruitful, which is something we can dive into as well. It's like what's actually happened to me kind of like two months post, Mm -hmm. but something has become so much more fruitful therefore after it as well. So the why I think is, okay, great. I have, do you know what I mean? X amount of millions of dollars. I have freedom to now go and do something else. I have this story that I can now do something Like there's these different parts of it that fell along. But I think if I was to really give you the truth as to what mattered to me, it gave me the ability to go on to do the next things and to help push me to grow and evolve into what I wanted to do and be. Mm, mm. I just want to dive into one little tiny thing before we moved on. And you said that the, uh, you know, I'll put this in air quotes, the wrongly piece was that you wanted to say that you bought and sold a business. I think it's really important that we're all different and we all have different motivators and that that was wrong for you, but it might not be wrong for someone else. But that's my take on it, but I'd love to hear your take on that, you know, in in having this conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I say it's wrongly because essentially that belief, that thought, that desire is based on what somebody else's thinks of me. I see what you're saying. So in my head, I'm thinking, because I've got, I'm very competitive with myself and I want to say that I've kind of ticked these certain things off in my life because that's kind of what motivates me. I like to try and do all these different things. So what you're saying is it's just the perspective. Is it the perspective of you looking out or is it the perspective of, you know, going within? Correct. And it's like, I don't think it's correct for us to base our kind of success markers of life and why we're doing things is to have somebody else's point of view of us in a certain way. I I don't think that's correct. So glad that I went there because that was just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, success is not what happens from an outcome. It's not the outcome that you get from an action. That's not what success is. For me, success is the motivation that is behind what you do. Mm. Love that so much. Love that so much. So once you decided that you, that or you had the why for why you wanted to sell a business, what needed to happen in that 18 months to make this, like to successfully have the sale and i guess we're asking this again what was your experience and also what do people need to start thinking about if they're like you know what i want to sell my business too yeah this is great so i love this because this is now what i'm doing so much with my partner so it's like this is quite literally a very topical kind of like day-to-day thing for me right now the biggest thing was okay i had the thought i want to sell this business all right well then what is a sellable business? What is a sellable asset of a business at the end of the day? And then there's a couple of kind of like leading questions that come to this, which is one, 
who could possibly buy this business? Mm -hmm. And so it is much easier to really be very clear on the who will buy this business because then from that day, everything you do should be aligned with having the business built and structured and operating in such a way that that buyer will want it that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So then a couple of obvious things then fall into place, which is like, okay, well, I can't be the face of the business. That's one of the biggest things is kind of like the next thing to tick off, which is, okay, from you, the business must be able to run, operate and grow Mm -hmm. without you being there. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, one of the easiest kind of like practical ways to think about this is, well, let's do two. I'll, I'll, I'll give two really good ones, which is one, think of your org chart. And in the org chart right now, think of all the different positions, all the different roles and responsibilities as to what's going on. Quite, depending on the kind of the size and where the scale of the business is right now, you, you as in the listener, could be holding quite a few of those hats right now. And that's perfectly fine. That's totally cool. So therefore, it's just about how are you able to delegate or systemize that role and responsibility to someone or something else. Another great way, and I actually suggest doing both of these, is do a time audit on yourself. And this is something I learned from a great friend and mentor of mine, Alex Sharfren, which is do a time audit of yourself. Every single thing you do work-wise for the next two weeks, you're going to keep track of and you track what you're doing the start time, the end time, and then you can start to categorize how much work is tactical, how much work is strategical, and you can kind of get like into the nitty gritty of it as well. And so then essentially you want to start passing off, especially the tactical pieces of the work, and then more into the strategical decision-making. So then you can really make sure that the business is starting to operate without you being there as well. And so Mm. one of the points that I found really kind of like emotional, if I could be honest for me, was there was one day I had hired a videographer for us to shoot some ads and I was on the bike. This is back in Bali. I was on the bike riding to the place that we're going to shoot the ads and our head coach was going to be in the ads with me as well and we're going to be shooting these ads with the two of us. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to be in these videos. I'm not going to do this. And I got there and I go, hey, dude, you're going to do these videos, just you, not me. I'm going to sit in the back and just kind of direct. But essentially, I just sat there and doing had a coffee watching the videographers and them shoot these videos. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is happening without me. And then it was a couple of days after I saw, like with the retargeting, I saw the ads come up and it was not me. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And then it was not long as well after that, that there was clients getting signed on. So when I thought about it, there was these people had gone through the lead generation. They've seen content. They've gone through the sales process. They've now been onboarded into the coaching and they didn't know who I was. Mm. And I was like, okay, now now I'm starting to get traction. Now, Now this is actually starting to get to something that is an asset that I can now sell. How long was it, But like in that 18-month period from the time that you decided that you were going to sell to that time where you had taken yourself out of the face of the business? Did that happen quite quickly? No, 12 months. Mm. 
maybe even a little bit longer. I just you know it took a bit longer than 12 months, Sam, because I didn't truly believe it. Mm. And therefore I didn't truly action the things that I needed to. Mm. I would say when I was like, no, 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 this is going to happen. There was an extremely prolific three to four months that just like stuff got done. Mm. And that was like, oh, like this is happening right now. Mm. But typically I would say if someone's like, if someone has a decently sized business, a coaching business right now, and they're like, I want to turn this into a sellable asset. I don't want to be the face of it. And I understand that. I would say, all right, let's give ourselves 12 months of runway to kind of build that in because you want to make sure that the kind of what I call the operating system of the business and the team members mm-hmm. are properly in place, skilled, incentivized properly, and therefore able to do what they need to do. Mm, cool. Let's talk systems and processes because you were talking about you need to know who is going to buy it so that you can start to build the business so that it's, you know, attractive, I guess, to that to that ideal buyer. You just talked about lead generation. What are some of the other systems and processes that you had to put into place or change that weren't already in place to be able to get it to that point that it was ready for sale? Yeah, okay. So I had to redo everything. Mm. There was quite literally over about a nine-month period, we actually changed literally everything. We, We became a completely new company. Every team member had either changed seats on the bus or had gotten off the bus and been replaced. Mm-hmm. What we sold was drastically different. How we sold was drastically different. And the operations of the business was drastically different. Mm-hmm. And so it was extremely systemized. I think that was one thing that I just like, I bled through the forehead for quite some time to ensure. And it's something that I now like, really confident in being able to put together and it's something that I kind of enjoy which is like how does a business truly run like clockwork like mm-hmm. how does it really operate and what are those key parts to that engine such as what's the does every team member have crystal clear clarity over what their roles and responsibilities are what a win is so everyone can point to the scorecard and go, I'm winning, I'm not winning. And do they know exactly what tasks to do, when to do and how to do it? Mm. And there is it like, there is a complete run through of how, like personally, how I do that with coaching and service businesses, but it was literally building that whole thing out. And so like standard operation procedures, as much as it felt like as boring as chewing on cardboard (laughs) was just something I just had, like we just, I did it and we talked about it every single day. But then also a part of it, there's the not so physical part of it, which is like the culture with the business as well and ensuring that all of the team is flowing and moving and using all of these processes as best as possible. And they're they're being able to take it and run with it and be able to do better with it as well. So there was obviously a huge culture change that we had to go through with the business as well, which was which was painful and hard Mm. and like was not nice really. And there was like, there was a few months where I was like, looking back, many of us were like, oh, that sucked. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. that, Mm -hmm. like I remember there was one meeting, we're on this Zoom call and a few of us were just like, wow, those last few, like it was kind of like we'd gotten out into the clearing and then we can look back and go, 
oh, that really sucked. Like that was hard. Mm-hmm. Let's not do that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and learning from our mistakes and learning through that process as well. So that was really interesting. Mm. You mentioned that the team, you had some that changed seats on the bus, some that got off the bus. I find people or, you know, I was going to say managing people, but it's not. It's the, it's that culture piece that you mentioned yeah. that sometimes this can be the hardest piece yeah. when you need to change people around. How did you decide how people were going to move, who had to get off the bus? How did that all transpire? And that might be a really big question sort of as it's coming out, but yeah. I'm sure you'll have your own take on what's going on there. I first started answering it from a selfish point of view, and it was a case of, what am I fed up with and what is it that I want from this now on? And so, for example, the cadence of meetings that we used to have was like there was weekly meetings. It was comp- like it was like it was, there was meetings all over the place. And I was just like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't I don't want to be on meetings the whole time. And I was like, I sat down and I go, how do I replace meetings to have something much more efficient, much more effective, and much more fun. And I came up with a cadence that worked really well. So I scrapped all weekly meetings. The only meetings that we had, there was four meetings at the end of every month. That was it, Mm -hmm. which took, including time a little bit after it, took a bit about two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I moved from synchronous communication to asynchronous communication, which is we don't need to be. So at the moment, you and I, we're synchronized with our communication rail. We've got to be on this call to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Asynchronous communication could be like, all right, well, if I need to get something through for you, Sam, I could send you a Slack message. Or if it's a little bit more detailed, there's a little bit more nuance to it. I'll put it into a Loom video and then I can send it through. And then, so the beauty about asynchronous communication and why I apply this into the businesses that I'm in now is because if I send something through to you, it first forces me to properly think through it first, Mm -hmm. which will get me to a lot of the time, probably solve the problem without ever having to bug you in the first place. However, if I don't solve it, I've thought through the process even deeper and I've had to put it together in a way that I've needed to communicate it, hopefully somewhat effectively as well. Then I've passed, I've recorded the quick few minute Loom video, let's say for you, and I've sent it to you. You then can now sit down, watch it, consume it, but then you have the time to reflect and think through the process as well. So it's the difference between that it's kind of like fast thinking and slow thinking. And so slow thinking is us being able to like really actually dissect it. And like, if you send something through for me, Sam, asynchronistically, I can better have the time and space to start looking at the assumptions that you're making with the thinking process that you have, with what it is that you've put together, with why you think a certain solution is going to be the most effective. What can happen is if we're in a meeting right now, and this can happen in podcast interviews as well, whereas like something comes up and we both kind of run with this thread Mm -hmm. and we continue to run with this thread not truly thinking through the assumptions and thinking points and we miss things behind us and we've kind of left things behind. We forget about it and we've kind of run off with something else. And therefore we actually don't either truly solve 
the problem or we could actually be working on the wrong problem actually the, yeah, yeah. the, the most typical yeah. things when i come in and i sit down with someone right now with an entrepreneur i would say 95% of the time right now they're working on the wrong problem mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i can go oh hang on dude actually do you mean you think you're doing this because you think this is the problem? Actually, the problem's over there. And if you solve that thing over there right now, this won't ever show up. So mm. it's kind of the process of like making one decision to stop making a hundred decisions. Mm. And people also make decisions in different ways. I work with my clients a lot with human design. Yes. And for people that have got an emotional authority, yes. you know, which my husband does, it took me a little, a little bit to understand. So I make decisions really, really quickly. When he was in corporate, he used to hate being asked questions in team meetings and have to answer them on the spot. And now that he's working in my business, I understand that that is the worst way to work with him because he's so detail oriented, but he needs time to look at it. He needs time to think about it. And he will come up with the answer that is 10 times greater than what he would have given you if you had have been in a meeting and and said, hey, what's this? Sam, brilliant that you bring this up because this is actually something I look at with all my partners now. And it started with Kylie. And so it's really interesting because especially like with human designs, like we're totally like opposite. Mm Mm-hmm. For me, I make decisions and I know answers straight away. Yeah, I'm the same. Intuitively, bang, I'll know it and it's there. And if I don't, I'll just completely put it off. And it's like a no and I'll leave it for now. Mm -hmm. And so for me, and one thing I got taught actually going really deep into this, there's actually a couple I can connect you later if you're really interested into this stuff. There's a couple actually in Austin and they took me through their process. And she taught me something amazing. And it was so true that I'd never picked up on in my 35 years of life thus far, I'd never picked up on. And so for me, I get to my answers really quickly, but through noises. And so mm-hmm. if just what you did then, yep, just what you did then. It's the sacral. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So for me, I listen and I look for what the noise is that wants to come out of me. So if you're like, hey, what do you think of this, Chris? And you know what I mean? I could be like, mm-hmm which is a good thing. I could be like, hmm, which is like, no, like, do you mean? Oh, Mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, not really sure. Or it could be like, "Mm mm-mm, which is a no. Yeah. Now, it's really interesting because when I learned that, then I thought about it as me as I've got four daughters. And so then I thought about it in parenting as well. And so obviously knowing which one of my daughters is more geared, two of them are geared more towards that way. So it is incorrect for me. It is yeah, I'll stick with that wording. It is incorrect for me with those daughters of mine for me to say, no, 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 use your words. That, yeah, ah, totally. Uh-huh. Wrong thing to do. Wrong thing to do. Yeah. Just make noise. Make noise. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, you just did it again. It's, I know. It's, it's so my brilliant. sacral. My sacral is like, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, it's totally. It's so interesting. So it's, it is interesting when we start to peel this onion back and understanding ourselves. And I think that's where... So much when it comes to content and you know what I'm really struggling with right now, Sam? My content manager was like, you need to shoot me Instagram reels and YouTube shorts. Try and keep them to like 30 to 40 seconds. And I go, (laughs) I struggle. I struggle because I like and want to talk to nuance. And that means Mm. things take a little bit longer. So I, I enjoy these longer form conversations I enjoy being able to say like, hey, let, like, let's think through this process together because a lot of the time I want to be able to pass out because 
a piece of advice such as like, oh, like if you say something to me or I, I just had a, to mean a, a consultation before and I need to make a decision on the spot and I'll know straight away. I'll be like, mm-hmm. That advice for someone else could be exactly the wrong oh, thing to do. Exactly totally. the wrong thing to do. Yep. And so I just kind of want to highlight that because I find it very interesting and important for everyone to understand what's right for you. So it, coming back to kind of like original discussion, selling the business it's, well, what's right for you? Because there's a couple of key parts when it comes to me helping people go through this process right now, which is, okay, why do you want to sell the business? Getting clear on that and coming to peace with what it is. And then it's understanding, well, what is the actual processes that you need to go through? Like, who do you actually need to become to be able to do that? And then really I mean, unraveling that and understanding what it is they need to do. Because then the actual, how do you go through the actual projects and the tasks and setting that, that stuff's, that's the easy stuff, if I could be honest as well. But it's really coming to the crux of like, who do I need to be? And then how do I need to best show up so that then easily comes into place? Mm, love it. So Chris, what have you been up to in the last two months since you sold Coach's Cartel? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, again, but please everyone just don't do what I say and maybe not as I do. <laughs> I talked with many mentors and colleagues that had exited companies previously. And I was like, what's the advice? A lot of the advice was like, take time off, give yourself the breathing room, six months off, 12 months off. And like, and others going through it as well. It's like, okay, okay like listening. Yep. Okay. This sounds good. Like trying to really get a, I mean, a lay of the land. I remember so clearly this is really interesting. So the very last call, so between time of signing the LOI of the business and full exit of the business, nothing to do with it whatsoever was five weeks mm-hmm. negotiation that I put together. So it was literally five weeks to put it all. And which, which was great as well, because Josh that then became the CEO we negotiate. I, I like put together this curriculum. I was like, all right, we've got five weeks. This is exactly what we're going to do over five weeks to have everything absolutely amazing. We covered everything in two weeks. At the end of the second week, we're at a meeting and I look at him and I'm just like, dude, we've we've covered everything. Like, you know, the ins and outs of absolutely everything. He's like, yeah, we do. And I go, I tell you what we're going to do for the next three weeks. I'm just going to test your assumptions through every single point. And which was, it was really fun. And I learned so much going through this process as well. Whereas like really looking to, well, like, what's the problem you're seeing? Why do you think that's a problem? What are you going to do about that problem? Why do you think that's going to be the right solution to the problem? Because that's all we're doing as entrepreneurs. We're just solving problems at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so really getting deep into that and making it very practical, that was fun. And then the day had come, I get on the this Zoom call and a bunch of the team members on there. And essentially the call was just pretty much to say goodbyes, to change passwords and to kick me out of all the platforms. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that in about 15, 20 minutes. We said our goodbyes, had some funny stories, do you know what I mean? Shed a little bit of a tear. And then I'm like, okay, thanks. And I'm like, I click leave, leave Zoom call. And I'm like, peace out, fellas. And I was like, oh my God, it's it's done. Mm. I got up out of my office. I messaged my wife. She knew roughly about what time I would be finished. We met at a cafe down at the beach. I had a soda water. And after about 30 minutes, I was like, 
I'm bored. <laughs> Going back to work. And after 30 minutes, I went back to work. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, Sam, after it. Like that, that was the thing. I was very clear on that. And in the last two months, I really came to the fruition that I was like, I I know what I'm good at. I know what I really enjoy. And I want to partner with businesses that I love. There's, there's like a three-point criteria that I have for the people that I want to be able to partner with. And so now I've got a bunch of really great partners that I'm working with and working on growing their businesses. And I absolutely love it. And I'm like, we've also moved countries as well. So as a family of six, we actually moved from Bali. We've come back to Australia. We've been back in Australia for just over a month now. It's been beautiful coming back here, feeling like we've just slotted into a fantastic community. And I am literally waking up and going to bed every single day, just in awe of how grateful I am of how everything is and very much looking forward to the unfolding of everything to come as well. Mm, Love that so much. Congratulations again on the sale of your business. I think it's fantastic. And I love everything that you've shared today. There's just so much gold here that, you know, I will go back and listen to it. It's been such a fantastic conversation. One of those things that you said right at the end, I feel like is just so important and is the golden thread through this whole episode. And that is we all have our own experience and we can ask other people for advice and we can listen to it but at the end of the day we have to really be okay with i've listened to that advice Mm, it sits it's great Mm, it it doesn't sit well with me i'm going to do my own thing and i think we have to be okay with that and be okay that all of our experiences are ours and ours alone absolutely i very much concur and agree with that And I think it's extremely important that we at peace with what it is that we're doing. And also we're using our rational faculties to get to the decisions of what we're doing. And especially as entrepreneurs, we're understanding what's the business I'm running? Why do I run this business? What it is that I want to do with it? And just like really getting to the depths of the the reasons that we do this as we go through this process. And something that I... You know, it just comes off for me now as well, Sam, is like one reason why I didn't believe that I could sell a business and it's something that's come up through doing lots of psychotherapy and doing like all sorts of personal development work on myself. It was like, I've struggled with feeling worthy a lot in my life. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of being able to build and sell a company, initially, I did not feel worthy of being good enough. Mm. I didn't feel enough Mm. and which is one reason why I wanted to write the book enough is enough Mm. because I think that's the thing because you know what, whether you sell a business or you don't, whether you earn the amount of money that you think that you want to make or you don't, whatever thing, if you don't achieve the things that you set out for, that's okay. (laughs) Like that's, you mean like there is an element of wanting to come to peace to that as well because I know for me, as much as I can be extremely, I want to achieve this and I will make this happen. And there is an element of self-love is probably the closest label I could slap on it right now and be like, if you love yourself through the process, shit, 
That's the win. Mm. That's the win right now. Do you know what I mean? And all these other things that we can we think are success in our modern Western culture today pale to having self-love for ourselves. Mm. 100%. How do people stay connected with you, Chris, so that we can keep our eye out for the launch and release of your book? Okay, well, Sam, don't put too much pressure on me. The the book's not going to be coming (laughs) for a while. That's all good. (laughs) The best place to go to is just the Christopher Dufay podcast. The beauty about what I do now is I have nothing to sell. So everything that I do and put out to the world publicly is really all about me wanting to answer the big questions in our lives and be able to help each of us be able to show up and do what it is that we want to do, be who we want to be, and be as fulfilled as possible as well. Because I... For me, it was a case of, and what I want to help other people go through is like, I want you to go beyond success and go to fulfillment. So Mm. that's where I best do that at Christopher Dufay podcast. Love it so much. Thank you so much for sharing just so much value in today's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to influencebydesignpodcast.com for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other experts who are growing and scaling their business too, join us in the Coaches, Thought Leaders and Changemakers community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at influencebydesignpodcast.com.